Please be advised, the following program may contain explicit language. From the kitchen table, this is Gate Close Panic. Sarah, I am in nature. Oh my god, Sarah, this is terrible. I'm for your woman. I know, but also this is just really great audio. <laughs> Listening to you struggle with this is hilarious. No, this this could not be revealed. Oh, I see. You have to come across perfect, Lisa Sage. Okay. You right. may not realise this because I am so cool and relaxed all of the time, but I actually spend a lot of time planning what I'll say when I introduce guests at the beginning of each episode. And then I read a script and then I record it a bunch of times until it sounds really cool and relaxed. I did this stupid thing today and left all of my editing to the last minute, so I've been sitting here for the past four hours listening to Alice Lindstrom, the guest for this week, and I talk to each other, so I'm a little bit in my head. I spent a significant part of my childhood and my teenage years living in Clare and the drive to Gawler where I went to meet Alice for this interview is on the same route. On my way home, I thought a lot about what Alice and I had spoken about, about all of these strange experiences that you have across your life, which feel frustratingly incoherent, all your endeavors, which ended up feeling like the wrong choice or all of the times you felt like you were in the wrong place. I don't think I'm alone in feeling envious of people whose experiences have pointed them in a clear direction because they knew that was the direction they wanted to move in and they consciously collected the experiences they needed. I think Alice is probably the most relatable person I know for me. When we met, she was simultaneously adrift and strangely confident. Even though she'd accumulated this strange puzzle of experiences, she just kept pushing forward but she was quite open about her misgivings and fears for her career and for her life. Alice is an illustrator now, and instead of that feeling out of reach and lofty, as it ordinarily would with these dreamy, creative careers, it feels like it's very much the product of just pushing forward in small increments until you've made the career you want for yourself when she talks through her life. I'm also reassured by how Alice's experiences all seem to serve a purpose now that she's doing what she wants to be doing, which is this gentle reminder that whatever confusing mess our life seems to be now, it might end up fitting into a bigger picture that we can only see retrospectively. Was that too sincere? I'm very uncomfortable with sincerity. Let's listen to the interview. Also, we're drinking Aperol spritzes during the uh, interview, so if you can hear that, I apologise now. Whenever you're <laughs> the ready. The whole interview would just be me struggling to actually just like proclaim who I am. <laughs> I think that really says it all. Um, no, I'm Alice Lindstrom and I'm an illustrator. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, so starting from wherever you feel is relevant in your life, when did you first start to think about work or something that might have become work? So a lot of people start in school but don't feel like you have to just whenever those early ideas started to develop for you? Um, they started in school, <laughs> like yeah. most people, yeah. um, because it's. Um, I went to a school where there was a fair bit of focus on, you know, what would you do when you graduated school, mm. what would you study, mm. um, and, like, quite a bit of pressure, mm-hmm. which seems, like, a little bit absurd looking back at that you're 17 and, that, like, like, so much emphasis is placed on this 
notion of a career that you yeah. decide there and then and like what kind of pathway you pursue. Yeah. Yeah, so at that time I started to think about it. Mm-hmm. And my strengths were always in visual art mm-hmm. and like English. And and also my interests were in drama, like yeah. kind of okay. design and theatre design and I guess like the humanities, we yeah. can say that broadly yeah. speaking, the humanities, yeah. What was school like for you? You mean right through, like eight well, to twelve? <laughs> like, I was a wee lass. I remember walking through the big gates. How long is this podcast? <laughs> as long as you need it to be, Alice. No, I'm more mean. When you were kind of maybe starting to think about work, whether it was usually in high school, I suppose, when you're thinking about that stuff in earnest, what was that learning environment like for you? Did it work well for you being at school? Did it not? Yeah, it did work well. So from um, years 8 to 11, I was pretty distracted. Um, I was distracted with, um, you know, like um, boys and um, like parties and yeah, gathering. (laughs) (laughs) Gathering would be presenting itself. um, And then I like continually would get on my report cards like, um, you know, has the capacity to perform well, like, you know, is strong in these areas, but basically isn't engaging fully yeah yeah. and so when year 12 came around I made the decision that I would really kind of put my full energy into the subjects that I had chosen and I had chosen subjects by then you know how you can filter out the subjects that you're not so engaged with and I'd chosen subjects I was really interested in which Mm -hmm. were pretty much all humanities and then biology yeah and so I decided yeah I would like fully kind of commit to it and really immerse myself and it was a really fantastic year Mm. um for that reason and it was like I would say a year where I really thrived and suddenly just like found this joy in actually immersing myself in those subjects and because I was doing art drama English classics it happened that what I was learning about kind of like all wove together and had a lot of congruency and so I might be learning about um, a text in drama and then learning about a modern adaptation in English and it was really stimulating. Then I had these long running drama and art projects, Mm. practical projects, you know, how you, Um, and yeah, I spent like all my spare time in the art room and the drama room and it was just a really wonderful year. Yeah. Um, What was your sort of family culture around school and and around what you would do when you got out of school um so I had the fortune of um being like incredibly simpatico with my parents so that when I would come home and like have you know this book that I was reading in English like mum would already have read the book and and so we'd be you know talking about themes in the book and I guess it was like quite a kind of bookish like artistic household so Mm -hmm. there was like total congruency there as well yeah Yeah. nice yeah so what were you starting to think when you were drawing to a close of in year 12 what were you thinking you would do next I really wanted to go to art school Mm -hmm. I really desperately wanted to go to art school and at that time in a way like looking back my imagination was very limited in terms of what different paths I could pursue so I didn't at the time think oh like maybe I could take a year off and work maybe I could look at art schools interstate. I kind of saw one art school I could go to mm-hmm. and it was the Central School of Art mm-hmm. and I like desperately, desperately wanted to go there and just do, you know, full-time painting mm-hmm. because I absolutely loved painting. Like, mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. I still really love it but don't even 
do it at the moment. And I applied, they offered at that time, they weren't offering HECS or fee help as it is now. Yeah. So it was like a fully paid course and it was quite expensive. And um, I couldn't afford that and I couldn't take out the loan. And they offered one scholarship that would be like a you know, full fee paid yeah. scholarship to one person. You had to apply to it and so I applied to that and I didn't get it and I remember just because of my personality type I really did take that as like 18 as this kind of crushing like statement that oh I guess that's it then I'm really not cut out to pursue this kind of but I was 18 you know it was like you know in Adelaide and there's such a school of art and said you know you're not getting this scholarship and it was like then I just didn't really have the wherewithal to think okay well what would be the other avenues and I had a high at that time, it was called TER. I have no idea what it's called now. No. Um, yeah, no idea. Um, but I had a high score and I kind of thought, well, you know, I should do something serious with this anyway. Like yeah. I should really make like, the most of it. to good use. Yeah. And um, I had quite a few friends that were applying for law and so I applied for law. We got into law. And then that was quite, you know, that felt kind of, oh, I'm really, this, this is serious. This is, this is what I should be doing. Yeah. You know, it's like on the path to a good career. What was it like to do to um, study law? Well, I did first year. I just did the arts degree. So I did arts law. Yeah. Okay. Right. So first year was actually okay because I chose subjects that were really similar to the subjects I had been doing at high yeah. school. So I think from memory, I did like you know English literature and I did classics mm-hmm. and like actually really similar subjects. But I found actually the jump from the very kind of enclosed, um, structured community at school and. Um, you know, having like a really good relationship with all my teachers and having that kind of immersive, contained community. Mm. The leap from that to just the like openness and the autonomy of university, mm. super overwhelming. Yeah. Like, you know, um, and really then like lacked focus. Yes. To, um, focus and didn't have the same um, like level of engagement that I had had in the previous year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. At university. Yeah. Do you then go into law in your second year? Yeah, so at that time right. you had to do a double degree. If you did law, you actually couldn't do pure law. This oh. is like back at going back almost 20 years, which is ridiculous now I think about this. We're talking 2002. It's ridiculous. And, um, yeah, so at that time, yeah, you couldn't do pure law, so you had to pair it with, like, engineering or commerce or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then second year, so you do second year arts, yeah. first year law. Okay. And at parts of law, I found really engaging and, you know, really interesting. And there was, I was doing some philosophy subjects at that stage that were overlapping with like criminal theory. So I found them really engaging. And Mm. also I found that within law, there was more of a sense of like togetherness and identity than in art. So in some way I kind of was like, okay, now I feel a bit more located or a bit more kind of grounded within the university culture. Mm. So that aspect was good. And at that time I was majoring in philosophy mm-hmm. and I was finding that really interesting. Mm-hmm. So there were aspects of it that really appealed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was when I got to third year arts, so final year arts, like completing my arts degree, doing second year law and then knowing that the year after I'd be going into pure law, mm-hmm. that I really started to kind of flounder and struggle a bit with law. And I also just felt this kind of like desperation to be doing actually more practical art like using my hands like painting drawing which I totally kind of like dropped the thread yes I mean I was only 19 I was like really young so it didn't really matter 
matter in some ways. But at the time, it felt really serious and felt like, oh, my God, this thing that's so fundamental to me that feels like I um, feels like I like need to be doing it. I'm kind of not doing it. It was almost like a panicky thing. Yes. And then yeah. around me, I could also see all these people that were actually incredibly adept at law and that their minds just, you know, could understand concepts around contract law and torts with what at the time appeared a lot more ease than I had in yeah. like grasping those same concepts. Yeah, so I thought, okay. I thought I don't have like the ambition. I don't have like the natural fluency in terms of like understanding this stuff that, you know, all of these like very driven people have yeah. kind of what am I doing, you know? Yeah. How were you living while you were at uni? At home. Yeah. yeah right. So, so was... you were doing a commute? Yeah. I was doing a commute. Yeah. Far yeah. Out. Okay, so once you were, did you finish? Did you finish your law degree? No, so I finished arts, so I came to the end of the arts degree. Yeah. Um, and then I, and I was, yeah, I guess I was 19 turning 20, so still pretty young. Young. Like yeah. pretty young, kind of, you know. And then I got the idea that I really, I actually went and saw a therapist. Oh. Um, Partly because mum and dad always like, you know, advocated, oh, you know, you see a therapist if you're kind of struggling with yeah. something. And that's always been like part of the family culture as right. well, that that's not this foreign thing. Mm-hmm. And I was saying how like unhappy I was just doing these like analytical kind of theory based subjects and how much I really longed to go to art school. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking about it and I said, oh, but I'm really like scared of the idea of going to art school because I just don't know what I'd say. Like I'm 19, I have, if I, you know, have these, like what would I say? And then I was talking about how much I enjoyed drama and she was like, oh, well, you know, would, what about, or she, maybe she didn't suggest it, maybe I just came to it. I thought, well, I really loved theatre design mm-hmm. because in a way it marries like a lot of, um, of like text with then kind of how do you visualise that and yes. it's also working in a collaborative way. It's yeah. not just this kind of lone, you know, painter at an easel and I'm only 19 and what can I possibly kind of saying about the world like again looking back that's not really how it works anyway but at the time that seemed important and so then I got the idea okay well I'll apply to NIDA mm-hmm. I'll do that mm-hmm. and um, so the actual audition for NIDA corresponded with like the final exam for um, contract law and I had finished all my art stuff at that stage so I already knew I have spent three years at um, University of Adelaide but I do have a degree like those three years have still kind of built on something yes, I've yeah. had an arts degree um, and so I went to the NIDA audition and didn't even rock up to the contract law exam. Yeah, strong choice. Yeah, it was a strong choice. I probably would have failed the contract <laughs> exam even if I had rocked up. Right, so okay. To be clear this way. Yeah, it's not lost to like the Adelaide law community, let's put it that way. <laughs> so going into NIDA, I only know what it's like going into NIDA in the acting stream, is it that consuming if you're it going is. into the yeah, design it's stream? it's super, super consuming. So yeah. how are you thinking you're going to leave? Because obviously you can't be at home anymore. No. It's hard to have a job when yeah. you're at night or anything. Yeah, it was – so when I got accepted – so at that stage I was just like, well, I'll apply. And mm-hmm. mum and dad also like looked to supply, yeah. you know. And when I did get accepted, they send out an information pack and they say, you know, you, you really need – some means of support while you're here because the hours will be such that you actually can't maintain a casual job. Like, yeah. it's not possible. Yeah. 
So because you're there from pretty much like 8 in the morning off until 11 at night and then you're expected to be there Saturday and Sunday as well. So there's really like no room. And that's quite interesting in terms of like how NIDA then becomes very geared toward middle and upper class people. Yeah. It does have a few scholarship places, like two or something, and they do have a, a program for making sure that there's um, access to Indigenous um, students. students. Yeah. But on the whole, it is pretty prohibitive if yeah. you you know most people need to work and particularly interstate students it's like okay maybe if you're living in Sydney you can just say okay these three years I'll live at home with my parents yeah but mum and dad said and you know I'm so really grateful that they did this they were like we'll support you while you live in yeah. Sydney and so they actually did pay for my living expenses for those three years mm-hmm. they didn't work any part-time job mm-hmm. um, and NIDA was fortunately again on the um, fee help program so the the fees for the actual, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, that could be put on my huge hex deck, which I <laughs> still haven't paid off, yeah. What was it like, the NIDA degree? NIDA was, like, really, really intensive, yeah. and it's a, it's a bit of a kind of, like, melting pot, because you have all of these people brought together, you know, who are, like, full of, kind of, hope, and their dreams, and ambition, and, like, you know, it kind of feels like it, it's, like, totally a life-defining opportunity and that um so there's like a massive amount of hope kind of riding on it all and high drama (laughs) and so yeah in a way it was like again with retrospect I kind of wish I could have been like look just you know enjoy it more like Mm. it's okay it's fine it's not like the end of the world if if um the project doesn't go according to plan but but it was wound up in a massive amount of performance anxiety and like a lot of momentum, but also, yeah, as I said, like a lot of pressure that was quite kind of crushing at times and felt really debilitating. And just that all-consuming nature without much perspective. So all of us thrown in together from interstate, without our families, without, like, you know, friends from school or anything like that. We're only kind of like 19, 20. Mm-hmm. And then this, like, yeah, totally consuming, pervasive atmosphere where, like, everything meant everything. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, if a teacher kind of brutally told you that some project was like awful and you'd like failed that would you know really crush you it was awful yeah Yeah. and and Mm. ironically by the time that a lot of us left rather than feeling buoyed up and kind of optimistic about the industry we felt really insecure yeah right yeah particularly Um, in design yeah did you like the work um yeah no when I look back it was like some really amazing opportunities because the whole school functions like a theater yes so you're working in a scale that like I haven't ever worked since where you might be doing the design and costumes and you have a whole kind of like, you know, the costume wing where you have costume students making these costumes and sourcing these costumes and you're fitting the actors and if you're working, designing the sets, you have a whole workshop at your disposal where they're making these huge sets and you're working up on the paint floor and you're doing textures and doing scenic art and then you're like rushing around to costumes to check on the, how, the way the costumes have been built. Like it's, mm. it's also like super exciting and mm. parts of the work I absolutely loved. Mm. But I also, and this is also just my personality again, I never felt like fully competent at a, a lot of times. I always felt like I wasn't like good enough or didn't have enough sense of kind of like spatial design to like fully, you know, be a theatre designer. I never felt particularly competent. And the teaching culture at that time was um, a culture that worked by really being kind of more hard on the students and results driven rather than creating like a nurturing atmosphere. It was very like results 
results driven. It yeah. wasn't ask or ethos of, oh, okay, we're all about exploration and process. It was like, no, is this like, you know, a functioning set that, you know, could be put on an STC or something. It kind of felt a bit more like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Really high stakes. Yeah. That was the impression I always got. Yeah. Really high well. stakes. Yeah. yeah. Were you feeling then as you were drawing to the end of that, like you wanted to pursue a career in that industry or did you want to move away from it? No, at the time when I finished, I was just thinking I was like incredibly exhausted mm. and I just felt like, like it sounds so strange in a way, like, you know, young and in a way it's like so privileged that I got to go to Nanda, but I kind of felt burnt out. I kind of felt like I just had lost a lot of the passion for it, you know, like I didn't enjoy it. Mm. And then also on graduating, it's a very fraught time because the, Australian theatre industry only has so many, so much room for like new designers. So yes. NIDA will more graduate, more more people graduate from that degree than the industry can possibly support. It's a tiny, tiny industry. There's yes. only like a few theatre designers actually making a living. So you have all these new graduates. Of course, they're not going to go into like paid roles at Sydney Theatre Company yeah. or Belvoir or anything like that. Um, so it's like, okay, well, what do you do to support yourself? It's like a really difficult one. It's not like graduating from like nursing or accounting yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, with a clear path. Yeah, on. exactly. And the the jobs that you will get offered will largely be co-op jobs where it's not paid, but, you know, it's a whole heap of people doing it on an unpaid basis, putting a show together, um, and then, you know, any ticket sales will be distributed amongst the people working. But if you – so if you have the combination of unpaid work and you're already feeling – completely depleted and like rather kind of cynical at the entire pursuit at large and mm. also a bit overwhelmed at the like impossibility of a career path yeah. in the industry yeah. it's a it's not a good mixture it doesn't no. give you a huge amount of like energy and it's a personality based thing as well like we heard time and time and again during our time at NIDA that and I say we being like the design class but mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of other people within the school heard it too that talent really only accounts for a very, very small portion of who will become successful. And by successful, I mean who will make a living within that industry. Yeah. And a lot of it, you know, is attributed to talent, but it's also like personality. Who can, you know, still thrive within an industry where there's a huge amount of uncertainty, where there is a lot of pressure, where you, yeah, you need a certain disposition to kind of like roll up your sleeves and kind of stay in there. Yes. And it... A lot of people drop off, and it's it's the case in art schools as well. There's, like, such a low retention rate, I think, of people who graduate and people who continue to stick with that industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A whole other number of factors, like, you know, are they, do they have support while they are on this, like, fairly precarious path, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you come back to South Australia after you graduated? Yeah, so after I graduated, I got a part-time job because, mm-hmm. like, obviously my parents, you know, obviously I couldn't, like, my parents had stopped supporting me, and there I was in Sydney. Fortunately, Sydney prices then were quite as astronomical as they have since become. Mm-hmm. So, like, rent was, you know, more affordable. More moderate, yeah. Um, so I got a retail job, and um, for a certain amount of time, like, I think for a year after I graduated, I actually did a show with a theatre company in oh, Sydney, yeah. and they were a lovely, lovely company, and they had such a good ethos where they really kind of, you know, paid their designers and everyone involved properly and just incredibly lovely, supportive people to work with. So that was really, really positive. And then that 
show actually toured for like 10 years randomly so it was like wow. it was funny because it was like the only theatre show I ever did and then it just continued to kind of have this life um, so I did that show I worked at my part-time retail job I did a co-op show I think like mm-hmm. I have some vague memory of like doing a co-op show but I can't even remember if it got off the ground or not and then anyways and then I was really kind of just desperate in a way to just get out of Sydney it kind of felt at that time like I I felt lonely I felt like I missed you know mum and dad who've always represented familiarity and kind of like you know nurturing and homeliness and Mm -hmm. security and I felt a bit adrift and I wasn't really sure I was like well what kind of path am I even on like this you know I'm not even feeling very positive about pursuing this path which was sad because I've gone into night it was so much like oh this is you know now I've found my this is it this is it yeah Yeah. and also I just like felt a bit crushed by just like the obvious like wealth in Sydney like I remember I would like walk around I just always felt so poor I just like always felt that there was this like lifestyle that was like on offer that I could never ever participate in and that had been fine when I was a student but then it's like it just felt a bit kind of like I don't know soul destroying yes yeah. So then what? So then I came back home, mm. came back to Adelaide, mm. and how I, old were you at this point? I would have been like twenty three. Right. Yeah. It's so a lot to have done. I know. I'd already done two degrees. It's insane. Yeah. It's like take a year off, Alice. Just go travel, like just <laughs> and chill out. You know Relax. I mean? Yeah. Far out. Um, I hadn't had any break, but I had this incredible anxiety of like needing to. It's it's a strange path. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Do you feel like you were trying to just find what you wanted to do or did you feel like you really needed to get into a career? Yeah, I feel like I really, well, I obviously looking back, and I keep saying looking back because it retrospects so much, it retrospect differs so much to accessing how you felt at the time. Yeah. Where your perspective is much more limited because, mm-hmm. you know, the older you get in a way, the more kind of perspective you have about your younger self and yeah. the choices that you could have made mm. but at the time I think I just you know I think I've always like suffered from a lot of anxiety mm. and I don't think as a personality type I was someone who was very good at just being like oh I'll just you know do my thing I'll travel overseas and just kind of figure it out yeah in a way that kind of happened at the end of my 20s so I became a bit more like I did it in this like inverse way of yeah. kind of like became a bit more meandering and like okay with not hitting the markers that you know other people my age were hitting in a way yeah so um but yeah it's like as if I kind of really needed some like clear trajectory of okay I'm studying this and this feels very purposeful and then I will this will lead to that you know yeah and I think I was also maybe there was like fear associated with it too like fear of um just kind of spreading my wings and like going off into the unknown like as a person like yeah just not someone who would like I'm going to go and live in London at 23 and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, like, just jump off the ledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So after you decided to move back to South Australia, what did you do? So then, so this is all without kind of any break in between. So then, I actually probably even before moving back, I decided in my mind I was like, okay, I know what I need to do. What I need to do is become a curator. Because I was like, because what I have is I have my humanities and I have my theatre design and curatorial studies will bring both together because not only will it be the, um, the um, sorry, that's the point, not only will it be like all the kind of academic, mm-hmm. um, you know, writing, like um, 
but it will also be like thinking about space and like you know working with artists mm. and like designing an exhibition and designing like you know spatial quality and I thought oh this is the perfect like bringing together of these yeah. two things and also dad had worked as a manager at the Art Gallery of South Australia so yeah. he had a fair bit of kind of access to like how an institution like that behaved yeah, and right. I've done like like you know an internship there in school and you know we just yeah. had kind of like access to that that world if that yeah. makes sense yeah yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you did curatorial studies. Yeah. So then I did a master's of curatorial studies <laughs> and like finished that and did also a graduate diploma of art history. Far out. Yeah. So it was a lot of study, which is how many more the... years of study is that? <laughs> it's like it's like a year and a half or something. Okay. I mean, I think I knew this at some in some part of my yeah. mind. I think I knew that you had done all of this. I remember when yeah. we met you saying that you had studied a lot. I know. I just think I used to studied a lot. Like I've studied a lot <laughs> <laughs> because I spent like I'd spent like almost at that point what from eighteen to twenty five or twenty six just in institutions studying. Mm. Mm. That's what I'd done with my early twenties. I should have just been like drinking and. <laughs> <laughs> Were you not drinking? Having fun? Oh, I was having a bit of fun, but yeah. Mostly just studying. No, I mean, I was, you know, like I wasn't living, I was living like a university student. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it satisfy that for you, the curatorial studies? Did it give you what you wanted, what you were hoping it would give you? Um, No, because I graduated and I was like, I really don't want to be a curator because I really want to do my own art. Okay, all right, so we've come back around. <laughs> it was all just this fear, I think, of not just actually being like, I want to do my own art. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's still a really scary prospect, which is why illustration is like this nice kind of middle ground. It's really scary to be like, I'm going to, you know, what does that even mean? It's like kind of terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you were doing this work, oh, when you were doing this study, pardon me, were you working? last bit of study yes I was working I worked at yeah so I always had a part-time aside from NIDA where when I couldn't work I'd always had a part-time job right so since I was when I was 14 I like worked at McDonald's when it opened up in Gawler and right. then I worked at Baker's Delight throughout yeah. high school so mum and dad had always um like encouraged us to get part-time jobs mm-hmm. early like mm-hmm. young so we had our own kind of pocket money and sure. that sort of thing yeah so in a way, NIDA was a real non- anomaly because I'd also worked during um, university that late, like I'd had a, a job. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Were you living at home still during your masters, or no? Not? So I'd moved out. I had moved out to. I lived in various shared houses. So it's kind of like wait. I remember I was waitressing during my masters. I worked uh-huh. at the Tin Cat Cafe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. yeah. So once you'd scratch curatorial studies out, or scratch being a curator out, were and you wanted to just start doing your own art, how did you kind of go about that? How did you go about starting to take that seriously? Um, so I remember. So I remember I graduated from the masters mm-hmm. and the um, graduate diploma, mm-hmm. and I remember having that. Like, I don't even think I went to my graduation, but I just remember, like, you get emailed, like, you've graduated from this, or here are your results, whatever. And um, I remember feeling that, oh, no, I remember now, sorry, I'm like, my memory is terrible. I did actually work briefly at the art conservation place. At oh. The, 
you know that it's attached to the museum in Adelaide. It's like the oh, don't ask me. I'm not an art person. <laughs> I'll include where I don't remember. It's like the, yeah, we'll just edit this part out. It's called like, uh, anyway, the point is, I actually totally forgot. I actually worked there, so I done an internship there during my masters oh, okay. I've been in there um they have like different floors where they you know um one floor does object conservation another floor does um painting conservation textile conservation it's actually like an amazing team it's such mm. a beautiful place to work mm. and I'd been on the painting floor and been like restoring these objects and then they painting basically and they then offered me like casual work for a period of time which was really positive that was like really good that was kind of like oh this is fantastic because mm. it's kind of working in this like really fantastic environment and it's using practical skills and it's also kind of in this like museum culture as well mm-hmm. that was really really positive but then if I'd wanted to pursue work there like full-time with like a long field as a career I would have actually had to get a master's in conservation so I would have actually had to get a second master's and at that point I was like oh it's like really it's enough like but it's so but by then the the career path of a, of a conservationist is so um it's by now uses so much scientific knowledge that once upon a time, you know, you could have just gone, like, gone there from an arts background and trained within mm-hmm. it. But now you really have to be trained in all these like more practical, like scientific measures of object conservation. So I didn't, I um, yeah, didn't do that. Didn't do a second master's there. Yeah. So you started to move into thinking about doing up your own artwork in a more serious way. Yeah, well, I think I, yeah, so I graduated from the Masters and then I remember being like, I remember thinking that to really pursue a job in, in like a, the role of a curator would in a way be just as difficult as pursuing my own art, which I don't know if that may or may not be true, but it's true to a certain degree that it takes like, there's so many people that want a job in a gallery yeah. or a museum context or, you know, an art history context, like mm. it's already an overloaded industry, right? Um, mm. And so you still have to have enormous like tenacity and kind of passion for it. Mm. You need to be willing to do like volunteer work or kind of like your side projects. And I thought, oh God, this is going to take just as much like gumption and kind of dedication as if in a way I just, you know, try and do my own art, which yeah. I much, I enjoy a lot more, you know, yeah. feel much more committed to. So how, how did you start to kind of structure your time and your life around pursuing that? So then I decided that I would avoid getting any kind of professional job um, that, like, demanded a lot of me, which um, if you're pursuing a job in the arts, it's actually, like, a really easy thing to avoid because it, it won't actually come knocking. <laughs> I know it. I, I know it well. So I found that that was, like, actually the easiest thing very harmonious decision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Working with the universe. <laughs> okay, so you've got an art yeah. demanding job. Yeah, exactly. And that's for Aesop first a bit of <laughs> Right, so this is where I come into your story. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. good. When we met, how much were you working? Um, I think I always worked, didn't I always work like three or four days a week or something, or four days a week maybe. I feel like I always did four days. Mm. Yeah. Were you living with your parents then? No, then I would have been in a shared house. And I think from memory, my memory is kind of a bit hazy at this point, but I also was doing like, did some casual classes at the Central School of Arts oh, yeah. and painting classes, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think I was still living in the shared house. I was actually. And then I remember I made the decision that I would moved back to Gawler, yeah. moved back in with my parents and saved money and took a studio in Gawler. 
and like I'm, and I very deliberately made that decision because I thought look I actually really wanted to leave Adelaide at that point it didn't feel like the right place for me to be and I felt like oh god I've kind of been here like treading water for a while now kind of doing this study and kind of what am I really doing you know kind of not really like taking the bull by the horns mm -hmm. but I thought well if I move to Melbourne there'll be so much financial pressure I will have to work full-time mm -hmm. um, I certainly wouldn't be able to afford a studio mm -hmm. nor would I really have the time because I, you know, I'd be working like five days a week mm -hmm. um, living in a shared house mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll move back, live with mum and dad. They didn't um, ask me to pay rent and I'll spend rent money on this getting this very cheap but huge studio mm -hmm. and I can just, you know, work at ease up and then like have a lot of time in that studio and really kind of, I don't know, learn by doing my own work without yeah. any pressure of like selling it or what it would become or anything like that. So it was like a really deliberate choice in a way to like, yeah, like not leave and return home and kind of be okay with that. And in a way, I'd be really grateful that I have such a good relationship with mum and dad and, and it is so simpatical and, you know, they're so loving. And, and by then, they're really super supportive of me as well Of in terms of being like, yes, you know, do this. Like yeah. You really obviously want to do this so badly. Yes. You know, I've been studying around the arts for like, you know, almost a decade at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, Go for it. Do you feel like it was the right thing to do do you think you came at it from the right angle moving into working as an artist um I don't think it was the right thing to do but it was like kind of the only thing it could do at that time right like it, you know what I mean like it was like how I chose to handle it and I don't know if I could have chosen differently like you know with hindsight again I would probably go about the whole thing differently but yeah. you know it's how I did it nothing really bad happened yeah. you know I kind of learned a lot <laughs> and then that time in Gawla like you know kind of doing my own oil painting in that studio was I actually look back on it really fondly now like oh how like what a opportunity yeah when did you when did you start to feel like it might be a possibility to start making money from it to start making money from your art work Probably only really recently. Like, right. probably only, like, last year. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so then a few things have happened in between then yeah. now. Yeah. So you went to Berlin. Yeah, I went to Berlin. So I had a show in Adelaide, and I actually, I sold quite a bit, and, like, looking back at the work, it's kind of like, oh, my God, that work was terrible. But, um, you know, because you're, like, learning, and so when you evaluate your early work, you're like, oh, God, I can't live. I, you know, pull that up on walls for people to see, but it's important <laughs> at the time to do it. Yes. Um, and actually, people did buy things, and people have always responded to my work really enthusiastically. So yeah. I think that that's also been encouraging. It's not just mum and dad who've been like, um, oh, darling, you know, we love it. But it's also been like, you know, people I don't know. Have, yeah. And that, I think, it's almost like pursuing a path that's like kind of following a thread in the dark. Like, you, if you spin out too far, like you might another career that you can kind of manage by clear markers mm. of like where you should be, you know, then it becomes very overwhelming. It's like, well, how on earth would I really do this? This is like such an impossible path in a way it can feel like, and it doesn't have a linear straightforward trajectory at all. Yeah. So um, I think you kind of, yeah, it's a bit like a thread in the dark where like each year, you know, okay, people commission some work and, you know, you still have your part-time job and then the next year, you know, you sell a bit more and, but you know, you, I pretty much stayed with it because I love it. Like, that's actually ultimately, 
I just stayed with it because I just really love it. Before you went away, the exhibition that you had, it was a combination of oil painting but also your collage, yeah. wasn't it? At that point, am I remembering rightly that you used to do your collages as like a practice run? Yeah, you used to do them as, as small studies Yes, the bigger paintings. Yeah, yeah. right. And so, yeah. Yeah, the like exhibitions I remember seeing, you yeah. just had a couple of collages, yeah, but it was mostly yeah. oil. Yeah, it was mostly oil. Yeah. Okay, I just asked that because I know, obviously, you came back to doing a lot more of that yeah, later. Yeah, a lot more. Um, but before we sort of hurry, hurry to the present, um, what was it like for you being in Berlin when you went over? Or what made you decide to go over? Um, so I just knew I needed to leave Adelaide. Mm. Like I really, when I'm in Adelaide, I do tend to kind of gravitate toward like Gawa and home. And it's like a smaller kind of environment and world yeah. for me. So it has an attraction, but I also know like kind of need to leave. Yeah. So I really kind of, and I felt like, well, I can't see myself, you know, settling here and like establishing myself here. Like it just didn't seem like a possibility, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't, wasn't, it wasn't really appealing to move back to Sydney um, or move to Melbourne either. Melbourne just felt like a kind of bigger version of Adelaide in a way. Yeah. And dad is German and his family, um, a lot of his family and now like his sister um, and my cousins live in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And my dad's father was um, a graphic designer and a painter mm-hmm. like back in Germany, like mid-century. And... He, I like grew up like seeing his work and kind of hearing stories about him and how he met my paternal grandmother at art school and you know this like kind of artistic family. But actually, never met them. Like met them when I was one year old, where they came over to Australia, but then they died before I was old enough to go and visit them. So I have no memory. So I was like, well, I'd really love to go to Berlin and connect with my aunt, who like has a lot of my grandfather's paintings and kind of keeps his um, life alive through like stories and you know photos and like it felt like the family history was there Mm -hmm. so kind of connect with that and then also at that time um, I was really just absolutely enamored with the paintings of um, de Bauer writer like the um, um, and the German expressionists and when I would look online so I had all these like you know beautiful books about German expressionism and fauvism and, um, and when I'd look online I'd see that actually the major collections were in mainly Germany actually yeah so I was like oh this is kind of perfect because I can go there I can connect with family connect with like you know my my heritage but also see all of these paintings up close like see them in the flesh Mm -hmm. and also just get out of Adelaide just kind of get moving a bit you know yeah did it feel like a reachable goal to you or did it feel really terrifying that move um it did feel scary but I put limits around it so I thought I would only go for three months yeah, and then I ended up, like, you know, extending and staying put there. Yeah. Did you live yeah. with your aunt or did you... No, I didn't. She... No, I didn't. I took her... Initially just took an apartment in Charlottenburg and, like, I had all this money saved up. Also, I hadn't, like, had filed a tax return for the first time in, like, 10 years, so... <laughs> so just had so a little kitty. I also highly recommend that. <laughs> As a savings option. Yeah, exactly, definitely. It's like a life, yeah. <laughs> a life skill, just, yeah. Um, yeah, so no, I had, like, that money saved up. And um, and also, I think I sold a hell of a lot of paintings before I went. I remember mm. I, like, posted it on Facebook. I was like, oh, I'm going, I'm not going to Berlin. Like, all of these 
paintings of the sale and people actually were really supportive. It was mm. actually really lovely. Mm. At that time I just had like a Facebook page and people did come and like snap them up and so it kind of all added to the pot I had. Mm. Yeah, it did feel scary but it felt really exciting. It took an apartment, I already had like an apartment worked out for the first eight weeks or something and then after that finished up I, you know, had to find my own place but I had my uncle, I had my aunt there, I had my cousins mm. as well. Yeah, so there was a bit of support. Network. Yeah. yeah. What was it like moving there? Um, it was really good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, it was up and down. Like I didn't. I babysat a bit while I was there, but I didn't have a job, mm-hmm. really. And so that was also difficult because you know I was by that time like twenty nine, thirty, mm-hmm. and so then if you, you know, are living in a place and you, and I mean Berlin's like an okay city to do that because there are a lot of people who are just hanging around, yes. doing their thing, like yes, it's so kind it of almost impolite to ask, like, you know, what do you do for work? Because, like, how do you pay your rent? aren't really doing much. <laughs> um, maybe edit that out. I mean, who cares? Everyone knows that about Berlin. Um, so, yeah, so it was good. It was really good. I mean, I met Will. Yeah. Who, obviously, that's, like, in a way, I'd say that is the best thing about going to Berlin. In a way, actually, two major things that were really fantastic mm-hmm. being there. One meeting Will, who's now my husband, and just, you know, really, really happy I met him. And then two, I did actually really connect with family over there mm-hmm. and now have, like, a much clearer kind of sense of um, who my grandfather was, like how, you know, my um, grandmother's story, like mm-hmm. seeing their aunt, you know, getting to know my cousins and also, you know, physically being in that country and kind of connecting with my other uncle who lives out in Bavaria and... You know, I, I did go and go to Manal where Gabrielle Monta lived and like lived with Kandinsky and so actually, you know, there was like lots that was really wonderful about that year. And there were up and down times too where I was like, What am I doing? Like I'm, you know, turning thirty, other people are buying houses and having their first child and like, you know, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. What made you decide to come back? Well, I really was I was kind of just of various things like I ran up ran low on money mm-hmm. and missed home which is like an ongoing thing and also I kind of thought well I don't really want to like don't feel able to kind of make my life here like I don't really want to you know the difficulty that you have as an expat like establishing yourself I didn't like really kind of feel that I wanted to do that I wanted to return to Australia yeah yeah okay. what did you do when you came back I returned to remember. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, okay. And Will followed you quite shortly after mm. you returned, right? And you were living here again, right? With your parents again. So, yeah, so I came back and maybe spent about two months or so here. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, maybe less. I'm not sure. I think I came back, like, December. And then I remember Will arrived mid-January. Mm-hmm. And then we quickly started... And I mean that was a, like that was kind of stressful because I was like, oh my god, he's lived in Berlin for seven years and now he's coming to Gawler. <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, it's like a bit nervous about yeah. it. But yeah, he arrived and then we quickly, like you know, to find our own place. Yeah, mm. and then I got my job back at ESOL mm. and, and also started to actually, which was really positive. I started to work at Carco doing their their um, workshops for children. Mm. That was really good. As well, so I had those two 
jobs going that Kakui work was fairly like erratic it wasn't ongoing but it was still really good to like have that mm -hmm. like I was kind of using my art but using it in a more professional capacity and how long did you guys carry on like that for um so we moved out to the Adelaide Hills yeah. to Upper Sturt yeah. and I guess we were in Adelaide for a year and a half mm -hmm. yeah yeah all up and what made you guys decide to leave the Adelaide Hills was quite isolating it wasn't really in retrospect the best place to choose um because we needed a car to get everywhere we only had one car it was a big jump for will to go from berlin to upper Sturt. um the market is a lot smaller so like the market for will's profession is like quite massively smaller than it is in sydney and melbourne yeah so job opportunities much more limited also by then like i didn't have a massive like circle of people around me like I had kind of one-on-one -on -one friends that I would see and were really close to me but in terms of like establishing a kind of community around us as a couple and like will being able to meet people and establish friendships like Adelaide's just more clicky and it's smaller and it just felt we needed to be in like a bigger place you yeah. know yeah and absolutely it, and also just to kind of establish ourselves like outside of the family as well like being in Adelaide meant that like, you know, I love mum and dad, so I want to spend a lot of time with them and my sister's here with her, with, you know, my nieces and nephews and that's really lovely and I really, really miss that. But it's also important as a couple to kind of be like, okay, we're making our own life as well, like outside of that and establishing ourselves, yeah. So you guys decided to move to Melbourne? Yeah. And how's that been that, since that move? It's been really good, yeah. yeah. So initially I moved with Aesop. Yeah. So I was working with Aesop and then last year, mid-year, and I was doing four days a week and so I had three days where I would, you know, have like full time on my um, artwork and then I got two publishing contracts and that was when I was like, okay, well, you know, I've got these like books and these people have approached me and now it yeah. really feels like the right time to make the leap. Yeah, make the yeah. leap and quit ease up. How yeah. did you how did you get those contracts? Um, just through Instagram. Yeah. So really just through art directors and commissioning editors at publishing houses being on Instagram and seeing my work and then going onto my website and contacting me through my website. Mm. And in both cases I had like no introduction to them, no knowledge, like one publishing company is in London mm. and the other happens to be in Melbourne, but like, yeah, no knowledge of them at all, yeah. which is really heartening in a way because it's like they really know nothing about me. They didn't even know that I lived in Melbourne. Yeah. And, you know, they've just contacted me on the back of my work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard you say before to me that you feel like, you know, for all of its flaws, Instagram is a really fundamental part of how you make your money now, how you establish your yeah. – get your work out there and – and not so much now, although it's still really, really important. Yeah. But now I've got the agent. The, right. Um, yeah. And okay. so now it's like that's also a really important part. But definitely early on it, because it's such a visual app, isn't it? it like, is. you know, just really kind of scrolling and looking. And it's also like really changed the whole kind of illustration industry about how art directors and how people, you know, in advertising houses, publishing houses actually find – find work you know once upon a time they would have pre-instagram needed maybe they look at like trade books or they um go onto the websites of different agents but mm -hmm. now they can just kind of go on instagram and like often contact the artist directly or find out about artists yeah. through instagram so it was a really really important part yeah, yeah. what were those two early jobs 
So they were a stage full of Shakespeare stories with quarto kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually with two like book, uh, book companies, so mm-hmm. Francis Lincoln Books and Quarter Kids, and they're kind of like the Quarter Kids, like the parent company for Francis Lincoln sure. Books. Yeah. Um, and so they approached me and they done like a series of different titles like um about folk tales or mm. animal stories and then the third one they wanted to do was Shakespeare retold for children so collage illustrations like six month time period to produce all the illustrations mm-hmm. and so that was the first and then the second was for a publishing company called Little Hair Books which again is under the banner of Hardy Grant Books which is a really huge publishing house but their children's section is Little Hair. They, and it was like a manuscript that was sent about a fox and a bird yeah, by an Australian author. So by this point, you have moved basically completely over to collage. Yeah. When did that happen for you? When did you move away from oil? Um, it happened in, I would say, when I left that huge studio I had. Like I used to work in the Gawler Clock Tower. I had this massive amount of space. Mm. You need a lot of space to do oils, I think, because they're smelly, like they're messy. Often if you're working like big canvases, you need space to kind of like, you know, stand back and like really kind of look at them. Mm. Whereas collage is much more portable, you know, you really, and so for a long time in Berlin, I just, you know, lived in shared houses again and just had a little desk that I would work at. So it's it's really easy to work and you basically just need paper, glue, scissors, maybe some paints if you're going to colour your paper, but it, it, you know, it's much more portable basically. And so I've started working more and more on collage. And also the thing is I find I do have like a natural kind of proficiency and doing collage and like a pleasure doing it like mm. I mum's found picture books that I made as a kid and like um letters and you know illustrations that just use collage like mm. I just obviously always kind of done it mm. and it also and I've said this before doing an oil painting really feels like you're stepping in the ring with kind of a, a medium that has been fully explored fully exhausted and the you know <laughs> the absolute kind of like high point of the medium has has been achieved you know like you only need to look at renaissance paintings and say oh my god and so it's kind of like well what am i doing with oils you know either you're going to commit every single hour of your life to like perfecting it in that sense yeah. or what do something new pretty yeah. much everything has already been done. been done so it's a, not to say that it's not a worthwhile pursuit to do but it's a really daunting one absolutely yeah and it's also really expensive yeah. like it's super expensive. You need to get the stretcher bars, you need to get the canvas, you need to get the, you know, it can be, I mean, it can be as expensive as you like it, but it's definitely more expensive than paper, scissors and glue. Yes. Yeah. So that, in a way, one is practically more accessible, but also just mentally makes it more accessible because you don't have this kind of like, oh my God, I've just have these incredibly loaded, expensive materials sitting in front of me. What am I going to do? It's, it's, it's more freeing. Yes. So I think that's also been the appeal of collage. At what point did you decide to get an agent? Um, I've wanted an agent for ages. So when I got into Jackie Winter, it was the third time applying with them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I have always, when I met Will, he, he also comes from an arts background and does illustration, does photography and... Um, had experience with exhibiting and like was friends with illustrators in Berlin and I remember him saying you know I really support your work and like you know see what's really good about it but if you and at that time I was saying I'd really like to be an illustrator and I remember him saying if you really are serious about that you will have to kind of 
get proficient in Photoshop and like the Adobe programs because you can't just hand make everything like it's it's not feasible yeah. for like illustration jobs which need a certain amount of flexibility and often they're also the end result isn't the handmade thing it's like the digital image or the printed image so yeah. that obviously needs some kind of translation through these different programs but the question about agents so yeah I'd applied three times to Jackie Winter and even like looking back at my early applications I have no idea like what I was thinking to apply but um I always like admired illustration you know it was always like a big love and I think I would always put like images from sketchbooks board and stuff like that and when I applied for the third time it was like I was more serious about it and by then I had really built up a body of work that was more kind of targeted like was kind of looking at the people they represent looking at the work they do and yeah it was kind of much more like focused in terms of this is more has much more like application in an illustrative way yeah not just like a more kind of fine art way mm-hmm. and I had also done things like I would set myself like illustration briefs or had made uh, like illustrated a picture book just like on my own off my own volition you mm-hmm. know okay. done that sort of thing um, and that's changed the way that you work now I assume having an agent yeah it has changed because they will put you in front of companies mm. and people that would go directly to them and wouldn't just approach a single artist so they'll put you forward for briefs and then they'll also manage all of the like contract and kind of financial negotiations around it which like is really helpful yeah yeah um so what does your day or your week look like now so it depends on what I've got going on sure. like um that's the thing about freelance work it's still can be really really up and down so you know there can be like a period of time where you think oh my god I've got so many projects on this is super stressful and how do I like manage all of them and and you know make sure they're all done to a really high standard and then there's other times where it's like god like I hope a job comes in because otherwise I might need to go apply for ASAP <laughs> okay do you do you <laughs> do you have a like a strict routine for yourself um, I have in the past, like I kind of like vary with routine. It's something I struggle with and I think I'll probably always struggle with in mm. terms of finding a routine that sits well, mm. that you can maintain, that is the right balance between um, between like discipline and also, you know, like being kind of kind to yourself. You don't want some incredibly tight, like, like self-hating regime where you can never quite live up to it because it's just not a nice way to live, right? Mm. If, especially if you're working from alone every day mm-hmm. so it's kind of like finding that balance so I always have some ideal version of myself that would like rise at 6am and you know just daintily alight from the bed and you know immediately put on running perfectly ironed um, maintained running gear and then just set off on a you know, 30k run and then come back and meditate for two hours sipping like some kind of kombucha tea or whatever <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Yeah, but maybe yeah, but not it doesn't realistic. happen at all. It doesn't happen at all. <laughs> what usually happens is like I <laughs> stumble out of bed, like incredibly groggily, um, hang around with the cats for a while, chat to Will. Will leaves for work, and then lately I have started doing two practices in the morning that help. I do morning pages, like three, which I picked up like on and off, done it over the, like the last ten years, I'd say. Um, three pages stream of consciousness writing. It's a technique that's from a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, if anyone wants to look into it. Um, and the idea is that you just get out all the 
kind of, you know, complaints or issues or anxieties or worries you just kind of splurge out onto the page, mm. just get it out there. But then once you kind of sift through that, it's also like you might kind of write a bit about your work, mm. about things that you're ill at ease with or things you're feeling positive about or things that you'd want to explore or mm. we can just spend the whole time venting, but it's just a bit of a kind of brain dump, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find, found that really useful. Mm. And then I do 25 minutes of Zen meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I've done Zen on and off throughout like the last 15 years maybe. Mm-hmm. But I find that I'm much better situated for the day if I do have a Zen practice. Yeah. Yeah. And then I start work. You're alone a lot, I suppose. Yeah. Is that hard? Yeah, it is. It's been really difficult throughout the year at different times. And it also depends on where I'm at with my work. Like if I do have a, a project that's going on that I feel engaged with, mm-hmm. um, then it can be quite joyful to be at home because, you know, you're right there, all your materials are there, mm. I have a nice space to work, I have two cats around, I can, like, you know, have, like, total privacy, there's not a self-conscious element, there's no commute. So, you know, there's many positives about it. Mm. When it's not going well, it can feel, like, incredibly isolating, like you lack that structure that you get from, like, physically going to a different space, yeah. you know, being around colleagues and people. And... You know, it can be like you're alone with your thoughts as well. Mm. And if all your thoughts are feeling highly anxious about the nature of your work or like the current work that you're doing, then it's, you know, really, really unpleasant. So mm. I think in order to do it, it requires a lot of like self-management that yeah. I'm not always getting right. Yeah. What are you thinking that you want to do next, just sort of in the immediate future? What are you hoping to change or, or hoping to do? Um, I would like to do work that was possibly like explore more work like out of children's picture books so um kind of I really like uh, kind of like painterly style collages that have a more sophisticated sense about them like have some kind of quality of like ambiguity or like pathos so I'd really like to develop a body of work that went more in that direction and then and then I also feel that that draws on my like experience with oil painting and also collage and like weaving them together and really kind of developing and focusing on that. Mm-hmm. I would like that a lot. And also bigger scale projects, another book that I might do next year. But basically I just, I'm really just trying to have like a learning approach with my work, like really kind of centered on like the practice and mm-hmm. how can I develop routines to like better nurture the practice, like learn from kind of what I did like about my work this year, what I didn't think worked. Yeah, how can I like further and kind of develop develop it? Yeah. We're sort of coming to the end, but before we finish, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you feel is really important to your experience or to your story? Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, that's good. We're with Thara then. Do you feel okay about that? Yeah. Okay. If you've got any questions for Alice or for me, just reach out to me on our social media. Also subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us. Do all of the good things online and I will see you guys in a fortnight. I've been Sarah Bell. This has been Gate Close Panic. I'll see you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.